You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm Jared Smith. Each episode is my job to engage with some of the brightest minds in higher ed and the broader world of marketing to find actionable insights you can use to level up your school's marketing and enrollment efforts. This is part one of a special two-part episode in which we'll be exploring how the University of the Ozarks, Arkansas's oldest private liberal arts university, has managed to consistently grow enrollment despite the significant challenges facing small private schools. We'll be hearing from Reggie Hill, Vice President of Marketing and Enrollment at the University of the Ozarks, and Amy Lloyd, Ozarks Director of Marketing. In part one, Reggie and Amy talk about the key factors that have allowed their institution to grow. We touch on how Ozarks has better aligned marketing and enrollment, how they've taken smart, calculated risks, and how they promote the university, and we dive deep into the specific strategies they use to stay connected to the younger generation they hope to reach. Reggie and Amy were incredibly gracious, and they offer solid insights ranging from the strategic to the tactical. So without further ado, here's part one of my conversation with Reggie Hill and Amy Lloyd. Amy, Reggie, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Good deal. Well, really excited to talk about University of the Ozarks and everything you guys have going on there. To get started, it'd be great if you could just tell us a little bit about University of Ozarks and your roles there. I'm the VP of Marketing and Enrollment, and I've been at U of O for two years. And I serve as the Director of Marketing, and I've been there about two years in January as well. Very good. All right, tell us a little bit about the institution for anybody who may not have heard of you or, or, or be familiar with the school. Oldest private liberal arts university in the state of Arkansas. The university actually predated the state of Arkansas. So, yeah, we've been providing education to Arkansans for well over 100 years. Well, good stuff. So um, I think a lot of folks listening to this are going to be very, very familiar with sort of the challenges facing small privates these days, particularly in the middle of our country, um, and kind of experiencing it firsthand. Um, And and of course, University of Ozarks is is caught up in that too. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about some of the enrollment challenges you guys have faced over the years and, and, and just kind of set the table for folks on that. Yeah. For many private liberal arts universities, especially private small liberal arts universities, have faced enrollment challenges um, over the last 20 years. Um, declining enrollment, um, increases in tuition, access and opportunity has been limited for many of the students that we serve. And so U of O was no different from many of the small liberal arts universities across the country, including the ones that have already closed. So for us, um, the challenge was, is how do we make this university relevant to the 21st century? Mm -hmm. So kind of against that backdrop, the university has managed, though, to kind of buck that broader industry trend. So folks kind of understand in a little more concrete detail, kind of maybe put some numbers around that. What does enrollment look like right now? When President Dunsworth started, I think it was roughly 580 students. When we started to really rethink and reimagine what enrollment marketing looks like, we started off at roughly 620, 650 students. Mm -hmm. Good deal. So I know that, you know, obviously you guys have kind of 
change that trend or are in a healthier place maybe than a lot of institutions. What do y'all see as kind of the key factors that have allowed that to happen? I think obviously leadership mm-hmm. with President Dunsworth is key, but and I know there's a lot of things that have to play together. But from y'all's perspective, what have you seen that's really allowed the institution to grow and thrive? Yeah, so I think one thing that's very special about Ozarks and that's really benefited us is the collaboration between enrollment and marketing. Mm-hmm. I think the norm is to have marketing kind of more in a silo and enrollment kind of in a silo. Mm-hmm. But I think where we really found what we would call our sweet spot is when marketing enrollment began to work very closely together. And instead of enrollment coming to marketing and saying, we want to market to these areas, this is what we want, can you help us? And us as marketing, just producing a piece uh, for enrollment, it was us all getting in the room together and Reggie challenging the marketing team to say, look at analytics. We have an excellent analytics person in the office. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to really take that data and heat map it, give us a lot of visuals, and then therefore turn it over and say, this is where your conversion is. This is where the yield is. This is where you should be traveling. This mm-hmm. is where you should be going. And then how do we market that? So I think it was more of a collaborative effort And I think that the norm is for enrollment to determine where they want to go. And we kind of reverse that. And I think that's uncommon. Yeah. And what Amy's saying is that, you know, focusing on your target audience and and being great at that. And then also follow up with creative. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think the ability to communicate our brand was something that we had a challenge with. Mm -hmm. Could you dig into that a little bit more about kind of the brand conversation? I think and. It's one of those areas that can be a little murky for folks. I think when some folks say brand, they think it's a logo, it's yeah, it's yeah, your visual yeah. identity, which is yeah. part of it, but it's definitely not the whole story. And and I know tend to think of it more in a holistic sense of it's your broader identity, it's yeah. the emotional connection people feel with your institution and your, your reputation and, and it's how you're operationalizing a lot of those things. That's really what your brand is. Could you kind of dig into that a little bit? Absolutely. So I think, yes, you know, brand is logo. It's your standard. If somebody sees a billboard and they see your logo, they um, recognize where you are, who you are. What we really wanted to do was have a brand. When someone drove by or saw a logo, we didn't want them to say, oh, that's University of the Ozarks. We wanted to go more in depth of, we're going to give you creative or we're going to give you storytelling, video content, the content to let you interpret the Ozarks experience for yourself. And so I think instead of trying to force this as our narrative, this is what you should expect from Ozarks, or this is what you're going to get when you come here, that we wanted to be authentic and realize that everyone's experience at Ozarks is going to be different. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And we embrace that. So it's video content without words and very cinematic and emotion and students interpreting what Ozarks could be like for them. Mm -hmm. Not this is what I should expect, but this is what it means to me. And that's going to be very different from the person sitting right next to them. Parents are going to watch that and they're going to get a completely different experience beyond students, faculty, and staff. And we have amazing faculty and staff. um, And I think we're able to showcase people. Mm -hmm. So I think what makes Ozarks very special is its people. That is also a huge struggle because it's the hardest thing to market. But Ozarks brand, I think, is very much deeper than a logo or graphic design. I Mm -hmm. think that it's the people. It's the way Ozarks makes you feel. It's your experience at Ozarks. And so really trying to, if you've never been on our campus, deliver the experience to you virtually or give you that same sense of feeling. And we want it to inspire people to be a part of our community. 
Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most important things because if we can, you know, have an emotional connection, that emotional connection lasts not only four years, but a lifetime. Yeah, gosh, there's a lot to unpack there and a lot of questions I have. I mean, it's interesting that you say we don't want to sort of force a narrative mm-hmm. and kind of spell it out for folks. Yeah. We want to allow them to kind of make their own interpretation and find what's relevant. And yet at the same time, you have to curate what's in that video footage. You have to decide what to show and what to bring forward. How have you gone about determining, here's what we're going to show and say about ourselves? How did you find like the right things that you want to want to present in that video or that email? You're trying to find the truest version of yourself. Knowing that you can't change location, you can't recreate physical spaces, and then acknowledging that there are students who would value your experience mm-hmm. and finding those students. And right. so for us, we're situated at the foothill of Ozark Mountains. Uh, we're not near a beach. We're not near an inner city. So we had to acknowledge that first and stop apologizing for not being in either a metropolitan area or a suburb and embrace our difference. Our difference is that we're probably in one of the best locations between what you were considered the Appalachian Mountains and, and the Rockies. Mm-hmm. And hundreds of miles of trails, uh, waterfalls, rivers, streams, lakes. And for the avid outdoors person or a person like me who wants to get outdoors. <laughs> An um, aspiring outdoors person. <laughs> yeah, it, it's paradise, right? And so how do you connect that to the, to the academic institution? Because students go to college in America for the experience. It's our rites of passage. And mm-hmm. so not only are they going for an education, but they're going for an experience. And how do you tie those two things together mm-hmm. is what we're trying to tap into. And I think it's a lot easier to say we want to be authentic and we want to own it. I think that everybody truly wants to do that. And that's what feels right deep down. And that's your gut feeling of, you know, you feel content, it makes you happy, like you feel like it's what you should be doing. But I think it's a lot harder to actually do it. And I think yes. that it wasn't a walk in a park right. for us to do that internally. I mean, just for transparency, you have there are a lot of things you have to work through. So when we delivered our admit pieces, which I know we'll talk about in just a little bit probably and dive into that more. But when we delivered the pieces to our students or when we did create that content, it was very reflective of where we were, what mm-hmm. our space is like. And presenting that, that's not going to appeal to everyone. And presenting it to administration, you know, it may be only one person in the room, but that one person says, this wouldn't appeal to my son or daughter. This wouldn't appeal to my niece or nephew. Yeah. Are we okay with going full-blown this way? And I think we were. We had to be at that point, right? But we had to communicate that. And we really had to own it in the sense of, no, it's not going to appeal to every person. And that is okay. Mm -hmm. We are owning it. We're not apologizing because this one person, these five people don't like it. We're owning it and knowing that we have to play the long game. And so how does this affect retention? Something that I think Reggie really brings to the table is it's not about this incoming class, right? It's not about just meeting admission goals. It's what does enrollment look like over four years? Mm-hmm. What's that four-year graduation rate? How does the students that we recruit for this incoming class affect retention, affect the health of the university, the environment on campus for all our students? What does that demographic look like? What does the diversity look like? And saying, okay, we want students that we know they're going to love this. This is what we're marketing. If this appeals to you, we want you here. We want students that love to be there. We want students that love that environment. And then by default, they all connect with each other because they all have similar interests. 
And then there's five of them that will just take off and go hiking together. There may be five of them that does drive into town and do something every now and then. Or you see seven of them hanging in trees and hammocks. And I think that's something that's really special about Ozarks is when you put a common passion in a space like that, a geographic location, you get something really special, which I think we're just beginning to see at Ozarks. And then, as Amy mentioned, being the truest version of yourself, but also being relevant to the students that you're targeting. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of us in higher ed don't want to believe it, but you have to scrap the traditional forms of higher ed marketing to be relevant to 16, 17, 18 year olds. And that's important. Most of us don't get it because that's not the world we live in. And trying to get in the headspace of a 16, 17, 18 year old is very different. Mm-hmm. And so looking at what they're doing, looking at the trends, understanding that the mailbox as a concept is less relevant to a 16, 17, 18 year old. Mm-hmm. They don't go to the mail. Mm-hmm. They don't receive mail. Everything is in Messenger. Everything is, you know, an app. So why are we still delivering things to their mailbox mm-hmm. when Amazon is delivering things to their doorstep? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we have to truly know what our target audience is doing. And I mm-hmm. think that it's really easy to say, oh, you're young. What are you on? And then it's been a very personal realization for me as I say, so I'm transparent. I'm 26, so I am young. And they're like, oh, Amy, you're young. What would you? And You must know what all the kids <laughs> are doing. Like, you know what? And I was like, yes, I'm a cool kid. No. Uh, but like, then I go home. So. Yeah. I mean, I am. I go home and I have a 19, 20-year-old brother. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in my first year in a bigger marketing role, my younger brother was 18 going into college. And so he comes home on the weekends. I'm like, what did you say? Like, I'm urban dictionarying, like what he's saying right. to understand. <laughs> and I'm like, I am young. Yeah. And I said, hey, Ethan, you know, I tagged you on this on Facebook. It was hilarious. Why didn't you say something? He's like, Amy, I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. And realizing yeah. that yeah. Facebook is my top platform. I love Instagram <laughs> too, but, you know, I'm on Facebook a lot and I'm tagging and it's, you know, I spend a lot of time on it. And realizing that Ethan, being just a few years younger than me, mm-hmm. has a phone and he has so much storage and he has so much going on that there's no room for Facebook. Right. And how does that affect me saying, oh, we're doing good stuff on Facebook? And I'm like, I'm not getting in front of any of them. Yeah. And so I think it takes research. Like, yeah. I think it's not enough to say, this is what the young people are on. I think there's a very fine line between millennials and Gen Z. Yeah. And that we're just starting to dive into the research yeah. of Gen Z. And that divide, right? The divide between mm-hmm. the mailbox and the doorstep or the radio and streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, that divide between digital marketing and, and then or in-app or social. So those right. divides are very real. And many of us who are higher ed professionals, higher mm-hmm. ed marketing professionals, we do what? We do things that are relevant to us because we understand it. Right. The things we know. Yeah. Well, and I want to dig into that a little bit to hopefully help listeners kind of get an idea of, in a very literal sort of concrete sense, how do you stay up to date? How mm-hmm. is it that, uh, you know, if it reminds me of the joke, you know, enrollment marketing is about the four to five year old telling a 30 year old how to talk to an 18 year old, but how do you kind of break out of that personal bias towards the platforms? What does Many that look like? Many of us in our position, we remove ourselves from students. And what we do is we reverse that. We keep a lot of students around us. Mm-hmm. And they become our focus group. We observe them. 
And so if you look and see what a student is doing on a daily basis, you'll understand, or if you're listening, you'll understand exactly what you need to do to connect with them. Right. And so once you become a director, once you become a vice president, you end up isolating yourself, not only from your core audience, but mm-hmm. also the people around you. And that's probably one of the worst things you can do because, you know, they will tell you what's the trend and what students are on and how can you buy attention. Right. And I think it's the mindset. Marketing is so much fun and it's so exhausting. You know, you sit down in the summer to start planning, you know, April, May for our next, our next fall class, not 19, but 20. And so we do all this and you're exhausted. And so you're like, yes, okay. But we know if we just do this, we get it right. We won't have to do it again next year. That (laughs) is not (laughs) true. (laughs) I'm like, this is so wrong. But I think at the point that I think Reggie and I are constantly, and even like Taylor and our admissions team are constantly tagging each other and stuff. We're constantly mm-hmm, seeing stuff yeah. and seeing like, what is this? And it's kind of like a game. I'm trying to figure out something that Reggie doesn't know. He's really good about listening and reading and we're always diving in. And so, you know, I'll wake up and Reggie has like sent something at like 4 a.m. because he doesn't sleep. Right. And he sends this and he's like, did you see where Zuckerberg does this on Facebook and this owns this? And how does this affect us in the long game? And I'm like, I'll text you back at 6 a.m. when I wake up. Yeah, when a normal person would be awake thinking about this. But you have to, like, I think you have to be open to that. And a lot of times it's a risk. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are very blessed at Ozarks to have Rich Dunsworth, to have leadership that is okay with us taking a risk and that believes in us and even says, you're not perfect. I've had to tell Rich, "Mm, sorry, I, you know, next time I won't do that again. But he's okay with that. And I think to have a leadership that is empowering of, Take a risk. If we get this right, we're going to be set. If mm-hmm. we don't, we'll find something else. Right. And I think coming from other institutions or being at other places where that wasn't the case, that I'm very appreciative of the leadership that we have at Ozarks to take a risk. Right. I still think it's not just because it is okay to take a risk and try new things. It's okay. So we know where the students are. The students are here. We are targeting students X. And then you're in an administrative meeting and you hear, well, my daughter is 17 and I'm not seeing your ads. Like, is she getting those? Like things like that, like (laughs) enrollment. Yeah. Enrollment is great. And we're seeing like social and this and that, but like senior staff hasn't seen an ad in two years probably. (laughs) And they're like, we're not seeing this. Like, can you screenshot it and send it to me? And I'm like, you're not supposed to see it. If you start seeing my (laughs) stuff, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, If you want to see it, We'll shoot it back and forth all day long in transparency, and that's appreciated. But it's like at the point of if leadership is seeing our stuff, we're not doing our jobs. We're not hitting Mm -hmm. our target audience because they're not our target audience. Right. And so I'm thankful for leadership who trusts in that, even though they can't see it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's always a lot easier when Reggie brings in a great class and enrollment's inclining. To jump in, I just want to say, I think what y'all are pointing to is that And I think many folks probably listening to this are thinking, okay, that all sounds great. Embrace your true identity. Wow, that's really scary. Yes. And they may be in an institution that maybe isn't as receptive taking those risks and maybe having the opposite reaction where as professional marketers, we know that when you try to appeal to everybody, you can't. It's Mm -hmm. an impossible task. That is a recipe for failure, but Mm -hmm. it it feels so logical and it's the instinct Mm -hmm. that we all sort of have. And I know you guys have kind of acknowledged that. Hey, that's risky. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And taking risks, right? One of the most important things that we know is that we're quick to make a decision. And if it doesn't work, we can retreat from it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And many times in higher education, you want to think through the process for months before Mm -hmm. you pull the trigger. 
And a lot of times you've lost time. So right. being able to make a decision, move on it, and realize whether it'll work or not. Because then you can pivot it and move in another direction. Right. We jokingly, but this is probably one of the things that I tell Reggie most frequently, is something goes wrong or something goes right for like two weeks and then it goes wrong. Obviously, we don't let it stay wrong, but our internal joke is fail fast, yes. adapt faster. Yes. That is our slogan yeah. because yep. it's not that we've gotten it right every time. It's not that we haven't had resistance. It was not unicorns and rainbows the whole way. And it's easy to make it sound that way, <laughs> yeah. but that's not real life. You will have resistance. But I think it's taking small risk along the way and being able to show that data is important. Our data analytics person has been crucial in being able to visually help mm-hmm. tell us that story for board of trustees, for administration, being able to show that we are ethically responsible with mm-hmm. data, being able to show we're being strategic with where conversions mm-hmm. come yep. from. I think that's been crucial. And so to have some of those assets, I think, is what aids you in some of that resistance mm-hmm. and getting over that hump. And those are some of the sexy things, right? And <laughs> what we don't want to talk about is the quote, non-sexy stuff, and that's right. being on the ground. And the ground is important, and being close to your audience is important. People mm-hmm. criticize uh, us for having the constant rotation of students in our office and saying, how can you ever get anything done with students in your office? Mm-hmm. But they are part of your network, your internal and your external network. And linking yourself in those networks yields dividends for recruitment. Mm-hmm. And so having an amazing ground game is vital to enrollment growth. Right. I think it's so important, just an example of having a relationship with a student. Like there is one student who she came in and she helped me a lot with marketing things. We had overachiever, really wanted to learn. And so now, even though she was a sophomore and so she's moved up into junior, senior, and so she's a little busier and she's mm-hmm. like, I just don't have as much time. But whenever there's a buzz going on on campus mm-hmm. about something negative being talked about, about marketing, or maybe students are hesitant about what we're pushing out and they're seeing, then I get a text from her at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. She says, hey, Amy, I just want you to know that word on the street is X. And I said, yes, that is true. If it is ever true. Yeah. Right. Yes, that is true. But let me tell you the context in which that was said. Or thank you for letting me know that is something that's out there. I had no idea. So now we can be proactive Mm -hmm. instead of getting to the point of, yes, it's already out there, but we're not having to wait till it blows up on social media or in the administration building and you're reactive. So that's another layer that those students really add value to us. And the most recent like Snapchat ad or video concept that we have that we want to push out came from my student and she's not even in the office anymore. She's like, Amy, this hit me like, And this is her, I'll give away her great piece of advice. But we were looking at Snapchat and we're like, okay, how do we get people to watch our Snapchat stories? We know our Snapchat ads. We know that we have not even three seconds to get their attention, Mm -hmm. but we know that's where the majority of our population is. And so how do we make that effective? And at first she just kind of didn't know. And then two days later she walks in and she says, Amy, I figured it out. She's like, because I accidentally watched an ad this morning. (laughs) And she's like, but here's what happened. She said, I was clicking through my friend's stories. You know, I wake up before class. I'm clicking through social media and I click and I'm like watching this ad for probably a solid second Mm -hmm. or so. And I don't realize it's an ad until three seconds in and I see their logo. She said, I just thought it was another one of my friend's stories. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, great. We do not start an ad with our logo. And if they don't watch it for three seconds and they never get to the logo, that's okay. But we have more of a chance of them watching it. And so I'm like, okay, that's the way they have. That is genius. Yeah. She did it on accident because she's been in our office and is mm-hmm. like subconsciously aware now. 
So whenever she realizes it's happening to her, yeah. she comes and says, this happened to me. This is how you get it to happen to other people. Yeah. Well, it's such an interesting point. And what I like about that, you know, hearing someone kind of spell it out for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it was the, the logo and tease me off that this is an ad and, yeah. and I'm going to skip. But if you're leading, depending on the content you're leading with, you're creating that emotional connection first. Right. And that's exactly what happened. So she's sitting here saying, yeah, I respected that. Like I respected that they got me almost. And so yeah. I appreciated the deeper meaning or the deeper content. So I watched the whole thing. Yeah. She's like, I watched it all. And even after I realized it was an ad, I continued to watch because I respected it. Mm-hmm. And that's where we want to be. So that's how we change yeah. based on the feedback we're getting from constituents. Absolutely. Yeah. Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full-service marketing firm dedicated to helping higher education institutions drive enrollment, increase yield, and capture donors' attention. For more information, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, if you have questions, suggestions, episode ideas, or just want to reach out and say hi, drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co. See you next time.